From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in modern modular Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this roundtable episode, our topics are runtimes, SDKs, and APIs, mobile games, and game difficulty. And so, if everyone's ready, are you all ready? Yes. Yes. Let's start. <laughs> Mixing it up. I could have timed that better. Because I was going to say, runtimes, SDKs, and APIs, oh my. <laughs> uh-huh. But I, uh, I, I held back, and I didn't do that, and now our listeners will never know I even thought of that. Yep, because they won't hear this. Nope. Not. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> not, n- n- well, now I'm not going <laughs> to. It's in there. <sighs> Episode 30, guys. Yeah. We can't celebrate every milestone. Yeah, we probably should, though. But <laughs> you all need to know. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big deal. Still, this is, yeah. We're I still new, but we're 30's a lot. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I mean, it's only, it's only 52 weeks in a year. So, I mean, I've, we're almost there. Like, almost <laughs> the year. Not really. Three fifths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what do you say we just get right into it then? Or do we want to talk a little bit about our sort of perennial meta topics, right? Like feedback form, Stephen. Yes, yes. Uh, NiceGames.club slash feedback. Right. It's a great us. place. You should go there when you want to give us feedback on our episodes because yeah. we're always looking for feedback. We say this all the time on the show. Iteration, feedback, you know, learn from it. Right. And we want to learn from the feedback too. So if you could give us feedback at NiceGames.club slash feedback, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, tell us topics you want to hear and yeah. tell us which topics that you've heard on the show that you liked, which we do more or less of. Should we ramble a little bit less at the top of the show, for example? Um, we want to know, so tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that URL again? Nicegames.club slash feedback. All right. Other uh, thing, um, uh, Reddit at r slash gamedev. Uh, we're posting our show notes there, so if you want to uh, talk about this episode or other episodes, uh, you can find uh, every week we post the show notes there. So uh, if you're listening to this and you want to like, hey, I want to elaborate on that, or I want to talk to other people about it, um, go to reddit.com slash r slash gamedev and find our thread. The, the link will also be in, in the show notes on the website. It will. So, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're starting that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to see if that works. Now do we get into the topics. Sure. All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, first topic is mine. Uh, runtimes, SDKs, and APIs. I think um, it's, it's a little technical, but I also want to do a little bit of like a primer, sort of um, do some definitions, because I think... Yes, um, please do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you start out, if you're supposed to be a self-taught uh, programmer, you you hear these things around a lot around a lot. You download SDKs or you download APIs and like all these things, and you you plug it in and you start working, and then you kind of don't ever deal with those as terms while you're working necessarily. And then when you talk to other developers and they mention these things, you're like, okay, I kind of am following along. So I thought it would be as I'm a self-taught programmer, it took me a while to figure out what all this meant and the value of knowing these things. So I thought I'd do a little bit of a primer. And, uh, and to explain to you, Stephen, yeah. because you have said that this is something that I have no idea what these things are, which is interesting because I, I w- it doesn't really held you back exactly. No, but I think it probably can. It might prevent you from like thinking in a way about these things, which yeah. is very useful. Right. Um, that's it's definitely helped me. So we'll start off with runtime. So when you write code, there's a couple of different ways it can compile to an application. The basic way is uh, it compiles into machine code that runs on on the machine that the processor processes. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically how you imagine it works. Um, a runtime is something that happens in the middle of that. So your code will then run on the runtime, and then the runtime will be an application that runs on the machine. So uh, good examples of this are uh, the Java virtual machine, uh, JVM. 
So Java was something that was invented a long, long time ago <laughs> in the ancient days, um, which was a, a way for you to write the Java programming language, and it would run on many different types of devices. So you wouldn't have to write different code for different machines, different processors, the way you would have in the old days. That's something that was then adopted by uh, Flash. So Flash, Adobe Air, uh, saying that the Flash runtime, the Air runtime, the platform maker, so uh, Oracle in the case of Java, or Sun in the old days, um, uh-huh. was responsible for writing the runtime for each platform. So they'd write one for Windows, for Mac, for mobile devices, for, for Java, for like DVD players, for ATMs. Uh, they would write the runtime specific to that device. So you as a developer never had to do that. You would just write the same Java code and it would run on all those things. Um, you would have hooks that would hook into various hardware capabilities of the different types of things. But um, basically, it abstracted a lot of that from you. And that's what the value of a runtime. But it also means that there's a step between your code and the machine. So t- things tend to run a little bit slower. So this was a criticism of Android uh, early on. Is Android runs on a modified Java runtime, or it did, called Dalvik. Uh. Java runtime specifically designed for Android. Later, uh, Google did something. They call, uh, the new runtime is called Android Runtime, um, or ART, uh, very cutely named. Um, but still, it works that way, where your code is compiled not when you compile it necessarily. It's, it, it runs on the machine when the user starts it up. Um, so there's a little bit of an abstraction. Uh, JavaScript is the same way. Node.js is a popular one, um, but just basically like um, you know, your browser has a JavaScript runtime. And that's why JavaScript is an it's un, it's a uncompiled language. Like You just view source and see it because it compiles at runtime. So that is the most extreme example, and it's hilarious how fast JavaScript is these days because all the engineering effort it takes to improve those runtimes, whereas if you would compile that ahead of time, it would run just a lot faster probably. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so those are some examples. Uh, .NET is another one. Um, that's Microsoft's runtime for Windows. That's pretty common. It uses C Sharp. So that, those are all examples. You've probably heard these before, but there's a difference between that and, say, C++ code, right, where it just compiles natively to the device you're running on. So that's one step of it. You generally don't have to worry about that, especially if you're using with Unity. Um, you write in C Sharp. It, um, what would we say, mono, like the Mono or... Uh, yeah. Isn't Mono built on C++ or something? Yeah, it's, it compiles down. It's, uh, or C? I, see, this one I don't have a lot of experience with. So, um, <laughs> I forget how that works. I, it was explained during the immersion program, and I've completely <laughs> forgotten. Well, what, what, we'll, we'll put something in the show notes about, about how Unity handles it, but the uptake is basically that it works the sort of same way, where you don't have to worry about it, right? And so that's where then you get into uh, like engines. So the Unity engine is basically just the code that's there that you don't write. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, that I kind of get. Yeah. Like, like I mean, you use Mono Develop, and that's part of the engine. The no, the see that's that's your, that's your IDE, <laughs> that's your IDE, your okay. integrated development environment. Okay. Um, that is basically just your text editor, right? Oh, sure. Um, engine is a kind of a fuzzy term. Mm-hmm. It's a SDK is another way you you can do a software development kit like the Android SDK or for my game is an Air game, so it uses the Air SDK. That is basically just. At least in Air's case, it's pre-compiled code that's written in the same language that you write yours in, right? So okay. it's not the runtime. It's so that gives you access to sort of basic functionality uh, to that system. It's so, the scripts that are there before you like, right. start programming. So, when so you, like 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 the two D collider and Unity and stuff. Yes. Okay. That is part of the SDK okay. for Unity, the, like the, the part of the Unity engine. Sure. Um, uh, so it, like everything, every script you write in Unity is a child of mono behavior. Yeah. Right? Mono behavior is a class that's part of the Unity SDK. Okay. If you wanted to, if you were crazy, you can go in and edit that. 
I mean, I, I, might, I don't know if, it, if it's delivered to you compiled or not or whatever, but it's not an immutable part of the language or the runtime. That's uh-huh. part of the, the library or the, the SDK. See, I'm already confusing these terms. <laughs> um, but, uh, but SDK is really important because that is, um, it's particularly the type of, you're not, if you're not making games, it matters more what SDK you choose because uh. the types of things you work with. So like, you know, uh, you know, an Android or iOS has an SDK, like these sort of these platforms that allow you to do things like UI implementations and uh, certain uh, helper functions or utilities that are you can just call. You don't have to reinvent the wheel for a lot of these things. In Windows, if you use the uh, Universal Windows Platform SDK with just a couple lines of script, you can you can create a window with the, you know with the close button and all the normally things that are part of of a Windows application um, without having to actually write those individually. Right. Okay. And so all of that is the sort of you call, could call it the engine or the SDK. Okay. So that's basically the sort of high, the big stuff you almost never have to touch, right? Right. So the thing that, that you have more of a hand in uh, would be like an API. So uh, yes. application programmer interface. I think that's the right acronym. Sounds right to me. Something like right. that. <laughs> it's basically code that you, uh, uh, that is written somewhere else that you can then have access to. So um, an API is usually something more specific. So uh, an SDK is filled with APIs, uh-huh. right? Um, you can write your own APIs, um, which is something I've sort of taken to really recently as, as sort of, that's really, really helped me out. Right, okay. Um, it's an interface for you, the programmer, to okay. build more things with. Okay. So it's like, it's kind of, I don't know if I'm describing this right, but it's like, uh, it's as if the blueprint was part of the house. Sort oh, of. Oh. You know? Um, interesting, Okay. All I think of is is web APIs. So yeah. that's no, that, I mean, this different, all, it's all applicable. So I mean, it's like here's a function that will give you this data, and you don't have to go write the function, and you don't have access to any of the things in the function necessarily, but you can call it and get the stuff. That's what usually happens in web APIs. Oh, yeah. like um, there's what's it? Collider? It's Collider two D something or other in Unity. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, and it gives you the data that when you collide with something, it gives you that data. Is that an API? Uh, I mean, when you're working with it in code, yeah. So, yeah. Um, or you know, a lot of times these things will be written as classes. So, like, um, was like time dot delta time or something like that. Right. Like oh, those, yeah. Like those sorts of things. That those little pieces. That is, you as a developer are interacting with the oh, with the SDK. Okay. And that you're doing that through an API. Okay. So that's the that is the sort of that's the structure of it. So um, it's important to know how these things are put together, even in the sort of like hazy way I've described it here, because um, it helps you then understand that your, your code is just more code on what's already there, especially if you're working with Unity, if you're working with other engines or libraries, mm-hmm. um, you know, Phaser or anything else, any, or Game Maker or any of these sort of like um, things that, that can get you on your feet. Um, where you don't have to reinvent the wheel or, or like box 2D physics engines. Like you don't have to do all these things yourself, but you need to know how to interface with them. Uh-huh. And then once you know how to interface with them, you can realize that you can extend upon them, right? You can write a class that's a child of, of a class that's part of the SDK. Yeah. And then you can override uh, methods and, and, and variables uh, to make it suitable to your application. Oh, okay. Um, and so if you don't know that, that's how, that you can do that, um, then it becomes very difficult because then you end up with lots of like um, vestigial code and you do end up reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, most libraries come with uh, like a utility class. So uh, things like, um, like uh, degrees to radians, you know? Mm. Oh, which is, yeah. That's like, you know, I weirdly, I actually have, I've re- I wrote one of those myself mm-hmm. in my own game 
before I realized that I have two different libraries that I'm that have them. Oh, damn. <laughs> that I, okay. oh no. <laughs> I just didn't know that, you know? They're not any better. They're just there, right? Mm-hmm. But that's that comes to sort of the next topic, which you know, writing your own APIs. So um, the example that I always, it's the one I'm probably the most proud of and took me the longest. And so I talk about it a lot is in my game, uh, every button is one line of code. Uh And um, and then that uh, calls a a class that itself has subclasses and all of that. So I've written my own API for a type of button that I want in my game that implements the style and implements icons that I've created and behaviors when I put a bunch of them in a row, it knows how to sort them and how to use things for a mouse rollover, all of that stuff. It took me a long time to build these things. But now, when I want to edit my own application, I'm like, oh, I want to change this menu to, to play test it differently. I want to change the order of these buttons or have a mm-hmm. split this menu into two menus. Mm-hmm. That's like a five-minute job for me. And, and, it, and it works just perfectly rather than having to like rebuild it completely. Um, even from already existing components is that my code builds those components. Okay. Right. Um, so, I mean, does that make sense? Like, why you might want to do it that way rather than building it visually? Yeah, I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of stuff, but it's 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 interesting because I definitely think it'll help. Like, I feel like we do that a little bit in Fingence. Each player's ship and enemies are built with like a similar. They're built in a similar structure, I suppose. They yeah. each have. And these, this is kind of out of date. We maybe should update this because Fingence <laughs> back in the day was um, a Kind of a different game. Yeah. But um, everything is made up of a body. We call it the hull. And um, they have cannons and they have gadgets. Mm-hmm. Enemies don't really use gadgets, but they have that functionality in. Cannon is the thing that it shoots the bullets and whatever yeah. else. Most everybody has that. Hull is like what takes the damage and what um, when you collide with something, it checks for that and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like that. That those maybe we yeah. made our own. I mean, the, uh, the, that's the upshot is you is yeah. you, you basically build tools to build things later. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Lane does that all the time. Yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't. That does not surprise. Me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and um, that I mean, it's it's really. I mean, I describe my example as this one line of code because mm-hmm. I think it's sort of simple to explain. But um, because a lot of these terms are sort of fuzzy and they're they're really conceptual, um, it applies to anything that does that job. Okay. Which is you know building your own tools. Right. Yeah. Um, there's sort of like lessons learned, I guess. That, yeah. that is sort of why I wanted to talk about it. It's like the, the more the more I go back to my code and look at these things, like oh, I, I wrote this function three times, mm-hmm. or oh, I have this thing that does this, but I have I, I could just take all of the objects in my game and make them child children of something that because ha- all the, they all have the same categories, right? right? They all run the same collider functions. Yeah. Um. They they all you know operate on the same like texture loading uh, setup. Mm. So rather than having like a texture atlas setter in uh, my player class, my my platform class, like just like, oh, I'll just make them all a child of Metronex's object, and mm-hmm. then Metronex's object will have those sorts of things. And so I mean that's just really a, about inheritance. Um. But being able to take your code and just make it smaller. You know, like yeah. like uh, le- less reinventing the wheel. Yeah, and th- and the way you understand that that is how libraries and SDKs are already built, and then you know the the easier it is for you to build your own. Okay, huh? I bet web development is like kind of complicated too, right? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I only use Unity, and I kind of have a base level understanding of it now. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> but like web development's got to be crazy too, right? So we deal with a lot with APIs uh, when we're dealing with third-party services and stuff like that. Okay. So like an API in that sense is the functions that are 
um, made open to the public. So, right. or or to people with API keys, they call them, mm-hmm. um, which is are just basically passwords that you can um, token things that you can send back and yeah. forth. They let only certain amounts of data out, and and they hide functionality in the function, sort of. Ah. If that makes sense. So, like instead of you writing a SQL query to get the data, you just call this function, and it will give it will run the, at the query over here mm-hmm. without you seeing it. Mm-hmm. So then people can't like write their own stuff to get all the or in drop table or whatever. Is that like a security thing? Yeah, it's yeah. it black boxes that element and that's a really yeah. good example. So uh, one that I've used recently is um, we talked about it on our bots episode, but interacting with the Twitter API, mm-hmm. you do need a key for that um, that is tied to a, a Twitter account and then you run functions, but then it limits how much you can interact with it and like if you make too many requests it knows. But also like you don't really know what's happening over there on, tw- on Twitter's side. You just send them the request with your line of code. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that, there is some security elements there. But when you're doing it in your own code, it, the same kind of applies, right? So when I when I want to add a new button to a menu, I don't I don't need to worry about the button breaking because all I, I, there's no way I can screw it up because I've written my API that anything I put in there will either work or it will throw an error for me. Okay, right? I, I set it up to be like, oh, mm-hmm. sorry, you can't put. Um, you know, even though this object or this argument will accept uh, multiple types of objects, right? It'll accept a, a vector drawing object, or it will also accept a text string, uh, and then draws what it needs to. The object itself is just um, an any object argument, but um, so it won't throw me a compiler error. Mm-hmm. But I, if I put something, if I put an integer there, all right, or if I, you know, I put something else in that right. space, I run my own check inside my own black boxed class. Which checks to see that that's correct. So when so basically you write your you write this this the API and then you don't ever touch it again. I mean you do a lot, but like yeah. you're not supposed to, right? And so um, but that's I mean it, even though it's very different applications when you're working with those kinds of like APIs that are by third parties that you need yeah special access to the purpose is the same, right? It's designed so that you it's an easy access for developers. It's a safe uh, um, environment for them. Um, and you know you you I know I've I've seen a little bit of the guts of Fingens. You, <laughs> you guys do similar things. So when you you know when you publicly publicly expose variables to a component, right? Yeah. Um, and then you can you can modify those in the editor. Right. You don't expose things you don't want to mess with, right? E- most of the time. Ah, <laughs> but you know that you have some public variables, but you don't. There's a inside the component inside the script. Mm-hmm. You do some math or something, and there's some variables that are just stored internally there. Yeah. You don't ever want to mess with those in your in your in the editor, right? Yeah. Right. So working in the editor is analogous to you writing that one line of code to call the API. Oh, okay. Right. So that's that is basically when when you are changing values uh, in the Unity editor, you're interacting with the API of the script that you have. Okay. So I mean, it's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to the next topic, the the reason I brought this up mm-hmm. is because I've been doing I I have totally broken my game last couple of weeks. Um, so oh, this, well, that's good to hear. <laughs> it's like it is in shambles, and the reason is is because I updated all of my libraries. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, I've, I was complaining to you about this yeah. a while ago, Stephen. <laughs> so uh, my game runs on Adobe Air, and it uses uh, the uh, the Citrus engine, which is a uh, it's a it's a scene manager basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. It also it, it uses the Box Two D Physics engine. It uses the Starling. Uh, library to display graphics on the GPU. Mm-hmm. Very performant. I quite like all of these things. It uses a thing called GAF, which is um, generic animation format, which is a way to take vector uh, vector animation, uh, like the kind you would make in Flash, 
and turns it into uh, raster sprite sheets so it can perform well on a GPU. Okay. These are all libraries which all had updates in the past couple months. And, you know, it's Flash, so a lot of these things, they don't, you know, they don't update a lot, frankly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But these were pretty, uh, uh, the main one was Starling. The Starling uh, um, uh, graphics library went uh, went to 2.0 some time ago and um, made a lot of changes, big performance improvements. And then all of the libraries that depend on that, which is every library I have, uh, slowly also updated. They're all updated now. So I'm like, well, you know what? I just, I'm going to rip the band and do all of these at once. Everything is broken. Oh, Everything no, is broken. Mark. Oh no! <laughs> and a lot of this is because um, it, you know there's there was some changes to how the APIs worked, and a lot of times it's just like name changes. Um, functions would get moved from one class to another, so I'd have to call them other way in other places. Uh-huh. Some uh, utility classes that had tons of like really fun methods on it got broken out into more. So it was just some organizational stuff, and that right. was actually fun to like go through and fix because I really appreciated the changes they made. Um, uh, also, I had better like debug tools and like all this stuff. So I'm very happy to have done it, or I will be rather when it's fixed again. <laughs> um, but um, I think it it sort of exposed how how long ago I started working with these things mm. because I'm I'm very I mean I'm utterly certain that like just the quick changes I needed to make. There's like migration guides for upgrades like this. Um, I, like I'm, I just must have been doing it really badly because it didn't work with this new version even after I made all the migration changes, mm. which is kind of good because I get to kind of go back and rewrite some of these things, which might seem like a waste of time, but is it's it's a good learning experience for me, mm-hmm. um, and like accessing these things correctly. So I have this, I have this, this asset manager class which uh, loads up all the um, the uh, embedded assets in my game so that it's ready to go, and I can keep track of that. I, the way I can uh, implement loading screens correctly. That's great. I only really need one asset manager at a time. Mm-hmm. But in my game, all of my levels have their own asset manager that get uh, called and disposed uh, when levels. Go. I don't need to do that. I can just have one. It, there's lots of little architectural changes that are revealing themselves to me. Um, but that's why I wanted to talk about this because if I didn't have like the sort of, if I didn't slowly learn the sort of like language of this, like the how to think about it, like in, conceptually, yeah. I'd have been even more lost than I am. So everything's broken. But I'm not panicking. Okay. I'm just kind of grumbling. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of the lesson is like, you know, uh, like I'm a self-taught programmer. I'm not really an expert in any of these things. But like I feel so much more confident because I kind of can like, can, I can understand how these concepts work together. Yeah. And I kind of, I don't exactly know what to do next right now. But like <laughs> I, have, I have options. I kind of, I can, I can now more recognize when things aren't working. I, I I will also recognize which, what, what of my code is old mm-hmm. because it's of how, you know, how, how it works. Uh, rather than it being like just like looking up the date the last file change, you know. Yeah. Um. So, you know, but you know, when you update Unity, similar things yeah, that happen. Yeah, sounds right. Very similar to how yeah. Unity would work. Yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to make some code changes and you have right. to make some changes in scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not that much different. It's just that it's not as well documented as Unity. So, like <laughs> at least at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh. But yeah, it's been very helpful for me to think about these topics and to remind myself. How important it is to like not just just be like oh yeah I got it like actually to think about it because it, it helps you it helps you write your code better it helps you read code better which is really important yeah um, and when disasters like this happen you don't jump out a window don't want that no <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad you just get really grumpy gills yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so uh, I guess let that be a let I don't know there's no moral here <laughs> <laughs> well the moral is learn your runtimes SDKs and APIs I suppose so. And hopefully our listeners have done so. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. All right. Next up, 
Mobile games. Mobile games. Mobile games. Uh, what is it about mobile games you want to talk about, Martha? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this topic lately because I got my phone mugged. And so now uh, I had to start over on all of my mobile games. Aww. But it's kind of exciting because I get to start over on all my mobile games. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. Start from the beginning like a noob. So if you could find that mugger, you would, one, punch them in the face, and two, <laughs> shake their hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Everything old is new again. Thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you're okay, right? Everything yeah, works? yeah. I'm 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 good. Okay. Our listeners, I don't want them to worry. Oh, yes, no. I've not, I wasn't hurt at all. And you got a new phone? Like did you I just did. get that right away or Um yeah, I got it the next day. Oh, okay. Um yeah. I stole my dad's upgrade, so <laughs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, what was that process like? Like transferring everything over? Do you have a lot of cloud sa- things cloud saved or I lost Oh, so many things. Oh, no. Oh, I lost dang. all my pictures from Train Jam. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, and like a ton of my flute recordings. Oh. Um, so that's a big bummer. So don't steal people's phones, guys. Pro yeah. tip. Makes them very sad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Also, if any Train Jammers are listening, you should send me your pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought we should go around and talk about... What mobile games do we play? And what are some cool ones? Because I think that there's some really good ones out there. Does and we Nintendo should, Switch count? Should... No. Steven. No. <laughs> okay. It's a hybrid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we're specifically talking about uh, phone and tablet games. Yes. Yeah. Not handheld games. Yes. Which, wow, that's confusing, isn't it? That is confusing. And think about that. Like, how are you supposed to know the difference between a Nintendo DS and a Nokia, whatever the phone is? <laughs> well, I think there. I mean, there's a lot of ways to categorize it, right. but you know, uh, a 3DS has a joystick and buttons, and that's mostly what phones don't have. Yeah, and so that really definitely it right. isn't to say that you know, 3DS is a touchscreen. So there have been mobile type games. I'm using the air quotes again mm-hmm. on 3DS. Yeah. There have been sort of. I mean, you can. There are platformers that you know with buttons, right? On on, on the screen, like, and in fact, there's this one game that I. Well, I haven't really been playing mobile games recently. Uh, because I have the Switch now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, Steven uh, has been neglecting a lot of the rest of his life. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He doesn't uh, have friends now. No, or... I don't even know how I got on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing Mario Kart right now. <laughs> oh, but uh, one game that I really did this enjoy This is an playing. intervention. An intervention. <laughs> Sorry, um, continue. So, yeah, one game that I really did enjoy playing um, was called Slan. I think it used to be a web browser game and they recently ported it into uh into the to phones or whatever but it's really cool you you play as there's a whole bunch of different characters you can play as you can play as a knight and a uh mage and an archer um and uh, what you can do is uh you basically just there's just this flat plane and your sword guy he's just holds his sword um straight up and he just kills everything he walks into (laughs) because he's just that good i guess but so it's really fun. It's really simple. And so all you have to do is just avoid getting hit because your hit, the, the, the hit box is the sword. Make sure you hit enemies with that. But your hurt box is just the, the soldier. So you don't want to get hit. You don't want to like jump into an enemy or anything like mm. that. So you just run and make sure you don't do that. And it's, it's super simple. But it was really fun because like, uh, I don't know, it, it, was, it was so simple. You could just do it whenever and it, it didn't take a lot of... Um, didn't take a lot of brain power. And I think a lot of the strength in mobile games is that you just pick it up and start playing it whenever you want. Yeah. 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 I think that um, for the, the games I play, I don't, I mean, 
I don't know. I think it's you have to be kind of a, as a game developer or a, a game enthusiast. You almost feel like I always feel like I have to apologize. Like, I don't really play a lot of mobile games, mm. but the truth is, is like they've you know there are statistics. People mostly just like email, web browsing, and Twitter and Facebook. That's kind of what everyone uses their phones for. Mm. And so, um, incidentally, like the most successful apps on mobile are games because all people do are those basic things and then they sometimes play games. Yeah. So, um, but even then it's still a, a small category of what people use their phones for and I'm definitely one of those people. It's, a phone is a productivity and goof off device. It's not really something I think about to play games. But, there's a couple of things. Every time I go on a plane, I'm like, I'm going to download a game or something to play. Mm-hmm. I have a Switch now, so those that'll change. But, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> the Switch, death of mobile games. <laughs> one that, one uh, series that I found recently that I really like is um, the Square Enix uh, Go games. So uh, Lara huh. Croft Go. Oh, yeah. Um, Hitman I, I Go. I downloaded the Lara Croft one. And the latest one, uh, Deus Ex Go, is the newest mm-hmm. one. And they're all basically just uh, sort of like puzzle games, kind of board puzzle games. Um, you've brought, if you haven't heard of them already, we'll put them in the show notes and you can check them out. But they're they're really fun because they're um, it really takes advantage of the mobile form factor in that it um, it, it it's not twitchy. Um, it, it uses touch screens, but it's, it doesn't require precision. But it it it's very much a, like you stare at your phone and do a lot of thinking. So it's definitely a puzzle game, mm-hmm. and I like I do quite like those the best because then the form factor doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that and the other thing I really like are like trivia games. So mm. There's one called Quiz Up. Which is really fun. It's been around for a long time, but you can really just sit and you just you just tap answers on your phone for hours and hours yeah. and hours. And what's fun about that game is that it's all categories and it's tons and tons of categories. So, like for example, um, there's a Star Trek category. Oh man, which I totally am the best at. Hundred percent, right there. <laughs> I'm sure. And what it does is it it um, it gives you ten questions and then it matches you up against somebody random in that category. And then uh, of a similar ranking as you, huh. um, and then you just uh, so it's uh, accuracy and speed. It's just like it's not a very complicated like a, a concept for a, a trivia game, um, but it's the interface is very good. There's just uh, I don't know how they they must crowdsource some of their questions um, because there are just tons of them. I mean, there's like the Woody Allen movies. There's like you know I'm sure there's probably like street names in Cincinnati category. Like there's just tons and tons of really. Like very minute, like atomized categories mm-hmm. of quizzes, and then broader ones as well, like general knowledge or random or whatever. Um, but it's a great, that's a great time waster. It requires internet access though, so you can't play it on the plane. Ah, uh, that's a bummer. Yeah. You could play against other plane people. That'd be cool. Oh, that would be good. Like set up a, a little local thing because <laughs> yeah. so you can beat everybody on the plane in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Uh well, I really, really like this game. Called Alpha Bear. Alpha Bear. Um, it's by Kit Fox. I think their name is. Okay. Ava has a cup with all the bears on it. Oh, um, that is okay. <laughs> and it's amazing. Um, you new spell words. It's basically Scrabble, sort of or mm-hmm. Boggle. I guess you get like a, a little oh. board of, and you have to click the letters to make words, and then the letters disappear, and the, the bears grow bigger in out into the space that oh. the letters have stopped. Occupying. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's Boggle, but adorable. Yes. <laughs> it is so adorable. That's cool. And like each bear has a different power. So uh, like there's timed modes, and some bears give you like time, uh, uh, like more time in those modes, or some some of them uh, give you extra points for certain letters. And all of them have little like costumes. Mm-hmm. There's like dog bear. And owl bear, dog bear and, and owl bear. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and, That's uh, great. Wizard bear and stuff like that. 
wrestler bear, <laughs> robber bear. So is a big part of the appeal of this, like the aesthetic? All of so the bears. The yes. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I guess that's true of like the, the Square Enix games. Like they're, they are, I mean, they're really engaging puzzles, but half the fun of it is just like the gorgeous character models mm-hmm. and like really excellent design and UI. Um, I don't know if I would enjoy it much if it weren't for that, that sort of like feel. Right? Yeah, they definitely have the juice, as yes, hey, uh, as Lane would say. As Lane yeah. would say, <laughs> that's um, something mobile games like for most of them are kind of gross looking. Like even the popular ones, like I that mobile aesthetic of like lots of bouncing and pulsing things, rounded corners, um, you know, just the Candy Crush look. Um, I mean, even like a game like Cut the Rope, which is really fun. Like I like that game. I cannot stand the way that game looks. Really? It, it, yeah, just. Huh. I don't like, know. Like I'm definitely with you on Candy Crush Saga or whatever. But yeah. Cut the rope seems okay. Mm. I don't know. I, I, the game is great, yeah. and so it gets, it gets kind of a pass from me. Ah. If, if it weren't for that, I was like, oof. It's it's. Yeah, I don't. Ooh. You know, one game I definitely should mention because I'm sure my brother will like yell at me if I don't, and I'm calling him out right now. Charles, his, his favorite game is like Jetpack Joyride. Oh. He loves that dang game. He used to play it all the dang time because he has a tablet. Yeah. Um, and so he would just, it's, it's super simple for him to just, you know, tap and go up and up. Basically, Jetpack Joyride is, it's kind of like those helicopter games that people okay. used to play, except you are a dude who has a jetpack who shoot, it shoots bullets and that's how he flies. <gasps> I don't really know why they decided to do that. It's weird, but that's all, that's basically <laughs> the whole game. And you just keep, you, you, this guy, what's his name? Barry or something? He steals, he stole the jetpack and he's just trying to escape with it. And you're going through the scientific facility, and it's gigantic because it just never ends. It's a runner, right? Yeah, right. It's yeah. an endless runner. Um, and so all you do is you avoid obstacles. You can give the scientists high five, I guess, because I don't know. <laughs> that's also part of the game. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, it's yeah that game. My brother loved that game, and he mm-hmm. he he. I think he had to restart it, or no, he had it on like four different devices or something. He had it on his Vita. His PlayStation Vita, because he's one of those people. And he, <laughs> he has it on his Windows phone, because he's one of those people. <laughs> and he had it on his tablet, and I think some other stuff. Uh-huh. I think he, because I remember he used to play it on a TV. So I think he had a PlayStation TV or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So because he's one of those people. Well, it's a one. Bu- <laughs> it's a one button in, in yeah. game. I think it has been ported to everything. Yeah, that, yeah. That has a button or a right, screen. right. So. Um, if it, it makes sense for it to be on yeah. those kinds of things. I like. I played that game for a little while, mm-hmm. and um, it, but that's another one where it's just it has that sort of um, bubbly aesthetic that mm-hmm. car, that cartoony. Like I like cartoony, but this is a specific mobile game cartoony style. Yeah. That, like uh, I don't like. I have a speaking of calling people out, uh-huh. my my nephew, oh. uh, who I gave my phone to at a dinner so he would calm down. Um, I had him play this game, mm-hmm. and then I got a notification on my watch. Uh, thank you for buying all this DLC. Oh, dang. Uh, Spent like $15 on it. That, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm a USA Today story. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that's one thing about mobile games that's interesting is that a lot of them are um, exploitative. Yeah. Yes. I can come up with a nicer way of saying that. Yeah. Do we want to get into that? Because we've talked about this off mic. And <laughs> oh, no. And no. by talk, do you mean screamed, screamed at, at each, each other? other? Yeah. <laughs> We might want to save that one, so stay tuned because that that yeah, yeah coming attraction. That's for Nice Games Club After Dark, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. I maybe specifically did not put that as one of my questions. Oh, okay, okay, that's right. So, so pass for now. Let's move on. <laughs> um, one of the things I want to talk about is like what sort of games work well on mobile platforms because we talk a lot about like designing stuff for 
um, PC and mm-hmm. for consoles and stuff like right. that. And we don't talk a lot about like, what are some good design things for mobile platform games? Yeah. And, or like examples that you've seen of people or things that work well. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. My brother, uh, the perpetual student, Charles McGregor, he uh, made a game uh, called Glitch in the System. I think it's still available on Windows Store and stuff. But he initially, he made it for just PC. Um, it's a twin stick shooter, uh, but he ported it to mobile games because I think he thought it would be more successful there. Um, and it, what, what it uses is it, it just, he, he downloaded a plugin that mm-hmm. allowed, it gave him like the interface to have twin sticks in there. And then that's how you use it. It ends up working out okay, which is very surprising to me because in general, huh. I don't like it when uh, mobile games have like buttons, unless they're huge. Yeah. Like in Slayin, they have, you have, because you have to move left and right. Mm-hmm. They have left and right buttons. Uh, but, it, it works out in there because there's only that and then the jump button. But in general, I would I would suggest people design around or design away from using uh, buttons specifically mm. in mobile games because oftentimes they don't, at least to me, maybe maybe it's just me, but they don't feel intuitive. They don't feel natural. It feels almost forced a lot of the times. Yeah. So yeah, there's kind of two categories of input for a mobile game. There's one where there are buttons on the screen. Right there, it's a like a like or like quiz up. It's a, you choose your answer. You just press what you want, um, or uh, it, or it looks more like an app, right? The, yeah. You just have UI, and that forms the the, the meat of the game. Yep. And then there are games like Jetpack Joyride, where anywhere on the screen you just touch to to operate. Yep. And then in that category, also you have the virtual joystick and buttons kind of thing. Like so, Sega ported a lot of like old games to uh, mobile, and they use that. Or it looks like a sort of a half transparent Genesis pad on the front of your, your screen, <laughs> and you know a lot of people who um, you know they they want to make games and they're like, well, mobile's where it's at, but I I just want to make Mario. They do that, and then mm-hmm. that's why none of those are very successful. Right. I think that's very challenging for people. It was some breakthrough years ago that like, oh wait, you don't have to have a joystick just in the lower left. It can be just wherever you touch the joystick appears. Yeah. And in fact, ah. the first version of Metro Nexus that I was making it originally years ago before I sort of think it was a mobile game and mm. it, it used, uh, uh, it, it had a one button for jump and then a joystick, which appeared anywhere on the left side of the screen you touched with the joystick would appear and you can go left or right. Mm-hmm. And because my game is a sort of runner, it's like a, a, a looping runner. You don't ever have to hold the joystick down. You just have to turn left or turn right. Yeah. So it, I kind of felt like, Oh, this is, this is, it'll work. It, this mo- and then it just it wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. And then I was always testing it on on my computer and I um uh, with a keyboard. And I was like, well, let's see if I can get gamepad things working. So yeah, I don't know, so I can do Android TV or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, this would just be an you know a, a a game with a controller. Yeah. And it was like a slow kind of like coconut to the head kind of moment. Like, well, duh. Like I, I just had this idea of I wanted to make. Uh, I wanted to make a mobile game because that was the that's what I was familiar with. The workflow was was, mm-hmm. and so, um, but yeah. I, so I've I'm very since that uh, in my own game, I've been very skeptical of any game that thinks it can work that way with with buttons with with like virtual with a virtual joystick. Yeah. So I'm skeptical, but I'm also I'm not confident about that. I feel yeah. like that's very much colored by like me feeling like oh, if you're gonna do that, just make a PC game. Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, um, but that's I'm throwing my hands in the air when I say that. Like. <laughs> It's, you know, yeah. I'm, there's got to be good examples, you know. I mean, the, the thing about mobile games, I think, is that it's largely the convenience mm-hmm. and the interface. Yeah. Um, I think that once you have to design around that, if you want your players to be able to just jump in and be able to play it whenever, mm-hmm. and, you wanna, uh, and you want to utilize the touchscreen to the best effect. 
Um, Super Mario Run is actually pretty good at that. Yeah. Um, what did they say that you could play that game while eating a cake in the other hand? Yeah. And they have a, <laughs> That's <laughs> a video awesome. Of that. <laughs> and actually, that yeah, that like that was um, it's really it's really interesting and well designed. I would say um, it's too bad it came out after the Switch came out because otherwise I would have been all over that game. But like what it does is it just you Mario. It's an automatic or it's an endless runner, not an endless runner. It ends. It does end. So it's not endless, but it is a runner. That's what's good about it. It has it has level design. Yeah, not procedurally generated. Right. That's yeah. what turned me off the jetpack joyride in the end. It's like I it's just going for high scores. Mm-hmm. That's not really a game for me. Eventually, yeah, that's effectively what it ends up being. But uh, in Super Mario Run, it has levels, and uh, all you do is you tap to have Mario do certain actions. Most of the time, it's just jumping. Uh, and if you tap at certain, if you tap with certain timing, you can get like different things. Like sometimes there's blocks on the ground that give you a long jump if you tap right on it, or if you tap when you're like next to an enemy, you'll hop on that enemy and do a little spin or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it it utilizes it by make making your timing more important than the actual movement. Right. Mm-hmm. It's very contextual. Yes. And I think that's what it makes it uh, have some depth because it's still it is you can play it one handed while eating a cake and. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's a shallow game, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, mm-hmm. interestingly designed. Yeah, and it's a game that if you had it, it it's suited for mobile, mm-hmm. right? It's designed. You could, I mean, there's no reason you couldn't make that for a home system, right? Um, but like it, it, it leverages what's good about a, the mobile platform. Yeah, I would. I mean, I wouldn't call it the biggest success or anything. Well, but, yeah, it's not the biggest success, but I think it's just. But if you were gonna if you were gonna put job. Mario on a phone. I don't know that I, I don't know I would have come up with that as the way to do it and it was a really really I think they did it right. Mhm. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, but those are the kinds of things you got to pay attention to when you're designing a game. Mm-hmm. Just got to make sure that um uh, it's convenient for a user to get into um and that it's it it uses the interface well cuz I know there are like like MMOs on the thing and stuff. Yeah. Like you got to sit there and wait for it to load the, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> the next map. Yeah. It's like what what are you doing? Where people use tilt controls to like move through a 3D space, yeah. Because you can, you you can build something like that. Yeah. I think that's people not understanding. They just want to use the bell and bells and whistles. Right. And you kind of can't blame them for trying, mm-hmm. but it's um, you can kind of. I get frustrated when people don't learn. That's the wrong way to go. You yeah. Know? But I don't. I generally, I don't really like action games on mobile. Like mm-hmm. I much prefer puzzle or you know or thinking. I guess the difference is like Quiz Up is very much like a timed game. But it's still not. It's 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 it uses an interface. It's not. Yeah. Um. The the gameplay happens in your head rather than on the screen. I guess that's kind of what I prefer. Ah, uh, um, right. So it's not like you're playing Zelda. It's like you're playing. Yeah. Civilization or something. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, um, what? Um, there was a Civilization game that was for consoles. Um, what's it called? Uh, oh. Civilization. Oh, so. Uh, oh, geez. Like I would know that, but I because I played it a little bit. It was a simplified version. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But it was a simplified version of Civ. It was made for consoles. But then they realized that they could make it for tablets. And they did. And it was actually pretty good. Oh, um, I'm going to have to check this you out. You should. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's a, that sort of that, that divide between like uh, those. Uh, um, so like a, a game like um, Cut the Rope ha- is a puzzle game, but it has yeah. lots of timing elements. Yeah. So that's a middle ground that I think I, that I like. But I much prefer games like the like the Square Enix Go games, where it's really just it is about thinking of a solution and executing it. Mm-hmm. Because when you're playing a mobile game, you're like slouched on the couch. You're not like in the sort of you're not in the sort of peak hand-eye right. coordinated yeah. physical condition yeah. where you don't want to be. Right? When I'm playing something on a train or, or on a plane, like I don't necessarily. This is kind of why uh, I'm I'm not as excited to play a Switch game 
on a plane mm, mm-hmm. because I feel like I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to be in like gaming comfort. You know mm, what I mean? Mm. I much prefer to play something more casual, more, um, you know, less, less action oriented. Okay. I, I guess I, I disagree. Well, no, not disagree with you. I want to see you play arms with motion control oh, man. on a plane. Oh dude. We should talk. Dang it. That's not a topic. We should just talk about arms. <laughs> oh, man. Nope. 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 Oh, okay. Next time. Next time. Um, but that did, re- uh, what you were talking about did remind me of a game called Hoplite that I really like. Yeah. It's, uh, you basically play as a Hoplite and I don't, I don't know where Hoplites come from. I can't, I don't know. I don't even know what that is. It's some soldier dude and he's going and he's going in a, uh, a dungeon and he has to get this fleece. For some reason, you're making then, all of this up. No, <laughs> I swear. Hercules? <laughs> no, I, maybe. It might, I think it had something to do with. I think it was like a Roman thing or something. Um, but anyway, or Greek. What's, what's Hercules? I don't know. Okay, one of those things. We're we're not historians here, guys. He's Greek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, I say with the authority of someone who's seventy five percent sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what basically what you do is you just like have to defeat. Uh, different enemies to get to the, you just keep going down. I think you had to get to 31 floors to grab this fleece and then teleport up because I don't know. That's how they had it back then. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it's really cool because it's, it's surely it's designed. It, it like, there's nothing much visually. All of the um, things are pixely, uh, boring sprites. Uh-huh. There's nothing. There's not much visually there, which is ah, which is okay. totally fine. It's mainly just gameplay stuff, ah. and you you know me, gameplay dude. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's really well designed because it, it's basically a puzzle game, and you just have to uh, understand how this AI is going to interact with your move. It's turn based, so every time you move, the enemies move right after you. Um, you can kill an enemy. You just need to make sure you can get through the thing. Um, all the decisions you make are just really interesting because you, you can upgrade yourself every once in a while. You might want to buy a heart to uh, give yourself more health or you can pick up augments just like in Vengeance that um, change up how or change how you use different things. Like you can throw your spear and maybe you can get a augment thing that uh, when you throw your spear, it stuns enemies around it. It's really, it's really interesting. I highly recommend it. It's quite fun. Hmm. It sounds really complicated. Though. It is not, I'm not saying that as a detriment. I just right, no, no, no. It, say for a it mobile game. It sounds complicated, yeah. but it's not. I'm probably not doing it justice, but mm-hmm. it, it's really not that complicated. Um, I think it's free. They have a free version. I think I just shelled out the, I think it was like three bucks or five bucks yeah. for the full version, but that's good. Uh, it's a good game. Hmm. But I, I do like certain action games on uh, mobiles too. Like, what's the name of it? I think it's called, it's not Breakout. Oh, dang. I don't remember the name of it. But you throw, you throw metal balls at like glass pillars. Um, and you just move down this this corridor, and you just keep throwing metal balls at glass pillars. It's really fun because you're breaking glass. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Wait, what is this? It's like Vandal oh. Simulator. Like, oh, oh my god. Oh dang it. What's this the name? is like my dream? Except it's I not... want it in VR. <laughs> Ooh, that would be fun in VR, wouldn't right? it? Right. Okay. Off topic. Continue. <laughs> Side um, note: I played Rick and Morty VR last night, yeah. and there's like a ton of like glass beakers. And I just spend some time throwing a room around and breaking things. I mean, that's what you do with glass figures. You don't put things in them. You throw them in the Fun part of that game is that it remembers everything. So as the longer you play it, the more of a mess around you there is. Oh. It's kind of cool. Wow. Okay. That is really cool. Um, Dang, I have to remember the name. I will put that in the show notes too. Oogie. Because like I cannot remember it, but it's really fun. (laughs) I want to call it Breakout, but it's not Breakout. Um, But yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. (laughs) So what kind of games would you love to see more on mobile? If any. 
Um, hmm. Or like if you were going to design some cool mobile game. I, I would like more sort of puzzle games that have narrative. Hmm. Because I do mm-hmm. a lot of reading on my phone. Like, oh, yeah. And um, I know not everybody likes to, but I feel like that's something that is not a very well-served category. Or maybe I just haven't experienced enough of that kind of thing. But something that has that is a, yeah, a narrative that has, uh, that's, has a slower-paced sort of puzzle mechanic to it. I think I'd be really into something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't I, know that I'm the one to design that, though. I don't have a lot of ambition to make something like that, but I definitely want to play it. Martha, make me one. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I want to make, I've had this idea for a really long time. I want to make a uh, text game. Mm-hmm. And by text, I mean actual SMS messages ah, to yeah. a cert, oh. to like a Google oh, sure, sure. Uh, number or something. And have it like if you send it certain text, it will send you back certain things. Yeah. Okay. I think it would be so cool because then you could play a game without using data because that's one problem that I have is that I've got limited data so I don't want to play a lot of games that go out to the web to play and so Mm -hmm. I was like oh man it'd be so cool if I could just do a text adventure literally by text (laughs) yeah that would be interesting there is a game and this is another I'm not going to remember the name of this one but we'll look it up Um, and it's (laughs) where you you sign up on a website I think and then you get a phone call and it's a voicemail message uh-huh. and then it gives you instructions and it's played through a phone and text. And I, there's some web, I think, <gasps> but it, I don't think it, I think it's designed to be, there's no Chrome or, or there's no app that you just, it's a system. And it is very much where you play the role uh, and you get random calls like in the middle of your day. And then you have to do something like, and it's, um, I, I, I forget the scenario too, but it's like, it's not like a hostage situation. There's some sort of like crisis you have to be a part in solving. Oh, um, that's it's a little bit of kind of what you want. That sounds um, intense. Just that as a genre, I think is really interesting as a way to use like mo- like mobile phones, right? Like not yeah. just mobile screens. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting. And because it's a it's a it's a device you have on you, so it's a passive almost ARG kind of experience. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. At the same time, those things can be gimmicky or annoying, perhaps. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's maybe hard to build a sustainable type of thing that's not just sort of a, um, you know, get some sort of attention for its novelty. I, I, I guess I need to play a couple of these to really see um, if it if it has, has legs. Mm. Cool. Yeah. You'd have to set it so that it wouldn't call you at times that you wouldn't want it to call you. Yeah. I think, that, I think it does yeah. make some accommodations for reality, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hope like it's you not can, calling you at three o'clock in the morning. Well, I mean, and to be, if you sign up for something, maybe you, that's what you sign up for. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't. I mean, that's part of the. It's a, it's part role playing, right? So I'd uninstall that app right away. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> not when we woke up at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> On my to do list, I'm like, sign Stephen up for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, let's see. What kind of mobile game would I want? Uh, I feel like I want a fighting game something competitive yeah. that I could play with other people. Uh-huh. And I th- I've talked about it on the show before, but Vengeance was initially designed to be a shoot 'em up that you competed with others to get a high score in. Didn't end up working out, but I would like something that I could do uh, with other people more mm-hmm. frequently. And maybe not necessarily like device to device, because that would be maybe more complicated than I want, but just, you know, I could play it um, and then pass it to somebody else and then they would compete against me. That would be kind of fun. I don't know what kind of thing. It could be a shooter. Um, games where like score is very important. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some ideas out there for you 
all you game developers listening who want to make mobile games. Yeah, make them for us so we can play them. Please. And review them on the show. Yeah. Or, well, maybe not review them on the show. <laughs> we can play them on the show. Yeah. Uh, I'll just play them while I'm uh, talking. Yeah. Because right, I'm still playing Mario Kart, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just got first place. Yeah. Oh, hey, I thought of another category before we move on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is uh, board games. Um, oh, well, uh, it's a, I've I toyed with this. I I've never owned a full size tablet. Um, at least oh, not till recently. But I don't like anyway. Um, but I a long time ago I was thinking like oh I'd love to do like a board game on like a on an iPad or or full size Android tablet. Mm-hmm. And I just never really got around to exploring that too much. But I've always wanted to do that. Where it's um you know not much different from board game, but you can do a little bit more random number generation. You know there's there are games like the XCOM board game that have yeah. um like uh, uh, apps that go with it. That's right. But I was, I was really, I really want to see more like just apps that are board games. Um, I had a Monopoly game on a flip phone whoa. that I used to play. That was a thing. I learned about, <laughs> I learned apparently in Monopoly what you actually, when you um, land on a property and you're supposed to, you decide not to buy it, that automatically auctions it to everybody else mm-hmm. or for everyone to possibly buy. I learned that from that game. Oh, right. Because, I mean, you're, you're playing a video game, so you can't, like, there's no house rules. Right. <laughs> like, that's, that's one of the reasons why Monopoly is so slow and everybody hates it, is because nobody knows that rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought of another one, too. Okay. Oh, man. Um, well, another game that's really good, uh, and it, we love to see more more of them like this, uh, Space Team. Oh. It's this awesome... That's right. I know what that is. Yeah. It's this awesome game where you, uh, everyone has it on their phone is you're like on a spaceship and you have buttons and then you get directions but your directions are for somebody else and so yeah. you have to yell across the room being like uh turn the hypro drive to three and someone else gets the turn the uh, i don't know push the eject button or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> um that's a lot of fun yeah yeah sort of co-op meat space games well you know like drawful is a game that's yeah. technically not a mobile game but you use it you play it with mobile devices. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a form factor where you're it, it's party games where you're in a real space. It's yeah. pretty cool. So, I mean, the uh, Star Trek uh, Bridge Crew just came out. It's a VR game that's very similar concept um, where, yeah, you just have to work together. But that as a mobile experience, the net, I mean, much more accessible right. um, than having to get four yeah. VR kits, <laughs> uh, which I'm working on. I want to get a lot of people together and do that. But yeah, I mean, there's why it's, I'm surprised there aren't more of those types of co-op mobile games. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should make one. Next Game Jam, guys. There we yeah. go. <laughs> That'd be fun. Sounds a little difficult, too. Huh? Ah, huh? Transitions. <laughs> <laughs> that segues well into the next topic. Uh, difficulty. Yeah. You guys like hard games? Not really. No. Oh, dang, really? Am I the only one here? Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was fun, guys. No, I, I um, it depends on the game, but I enjoy hard games. Yeah, uh, but it really does depend on the game. Like Super Meat Boy was fun mm-hmm. for a while. I never did beat that game. Don't yeah. tell, don't tell my brother. Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Um, games like Bayonetta or um, or Super Meat Boy, like, uh, it, it, it ties a little bit into the mastery thing again. Um, we've talked about before, but like, yeah. I like difficult games because I like feeling like I'm up to the challenge and I'm able to uh, get to that challenge. Yeah. But what, what makes a game, what makes a game difficult? What makes it easy? And what makes a game too difficult or too easy? Like, do you guys have opinions on that? You know, I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, 
there's um like there's margins of error right right for actions you do in a game yep. so uh, when designing platformers this is really important you want to make a precision platformer or something that's more friendly like the way you design um like you know what happens when you're almost near the edge of a thing you can actually program in margins of error right yeah. or you can design you can level design to to counter that um i don't know i mean i don't know i don't know if there's much more to it than than that right like enemy design and level design but I feel like that's because I don't appreciate it as a as a thing in games as much as you probably do. Mm, well, so I feel like I have a limited understanding of like what what is good about a game that's hard. Right. Oh, right? okay. Well, um, like I said, there's a challenge aspect. You got to step up to the plate and mm-hmm. take it down. Yeah. Uh, but there, I think there are different ways you can think about difficulty. Like one way might be it's very difficult to grasp the controls. You and me, Martha, we made a <laughs> uh, uh, claw breaker and like you basically play it like you're a crab. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the charm of the game, but it's part of the, the difficulties that you have to get a handle on the controls before you can defeat your opponent. Mm-hmm. But another way is just the tuning of the game. Like in Super Meat Boy, uh, the jumps eventually become very difficult because you have to be very precise with how high you jump and how long you jump. Right. Um, that turns into a rhythm game after yeah, a while. Eve- right? Effectively, yeah. it's a rhythm game. That's an interesting way of looking at it that I hadn't considered. But yeah, uh, it's something you have to consider because you don't you you may want to make your game very hard for like hardcore gamers who are looking for an extreme challenge, but yeah. you also might want to make your game more approachable. So you have to consider that as well. Yeah. Um. And so those are the things I kind of think of. Like I, I think a lot of it is a tuning thing. Hmm. Um. Just make sure that your controls are tuned in a way that makes it approachable or not approachable if that's what you're going for. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that that idea of like um of controls and so that that easing into that mastery element because yeah. that's something that like in my game it's multiplayer only right now yeah. so there's no enemy ai there's no challenge in that sense um and the controls are fairly there's not a lot to them mm-hmm. but players if they want to can do more with with the controls so yeah. you can you can fire a weapon and you can use the right stick to fire in any direction but you can also you can use that tools then to then jump over a gap and shoot directly below you. Yeah. Right. So that's a strategy some advanced players will use. Right. Or you can use um, there are certain items that change what your weapons do, which then just have immediate impact. Like you can drop a mine, or you can you can do uh, set off an EMP, which will uh, delete other players' uh, uh, claimed territory. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, but you can then strategize uh, on how you employ those in in different ways, and so it provides a little bit of an appeal. To someone who's looking for a challenge, I suppose I I, I don't know because I feel because just as you mentioned that I'm like oh I feel like that's as a designer I've I've thought of it in those terms yeah um, but at the same time my game it says it's only as hard as the person you're playing against. right that's I think that's more of a well it it falls in the difficulty but that's mm-hmm. like a mastery sort of thing that we were talking about before. right but a, 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 like a but, single player game yeah do you think that like having that kind of like dimensionality of controls where you can like oh you can you could. Very simple, you can get what's going, but then you unlock, but just by playing it, uh-huh. more abilities by combining different actions. Right. I, f- yeah. I feel like that's something how you can tune a game to be difficult but not frustrating. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Is by giving someone the opportunity to 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 master those things. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I would agree. With like that. rather than just making it like like oh you have to just time your weapon exactly right instead of very close to exactly right. Uh-huh. Like that is harder, but that's not more challenging and more rewarding right because I, I get very di- frustrated with, with difficult games that are just hard because just for very simple reasons yeah right? like that i feel no because i don't care as much about mastery in that sense like right. timing it exactly perfect yeah that when i do i'm like well i just got it right this time like it doesn't feel like i accomplished anything or i got better at something okay um but like fighting games are you know they have 
simple controls, but then lots there's a lot more to it than that. Right? Well, so that's I, maybe a good. I'm example. glad you brought it up because um, yeah. I was thinking of in the fight against Street Fighter in particular. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, a lot of people when they start when they just start playing Street Fighter, it's difficult for them to get a hold on like special, using special moves because they have, I'd say, less than intuitive uh, inputs to do them. Mm-hmm. Like you got to do. Um, I don't play a lot of Street Fighter to be honest. That's not my kind of fighting game choice. But uh, they they call it. Um, Hadoken, you know, the mm-hmm. Hadoken, which one is that? That's the fireball. Mm-hmm. That has a special movement. You have to do right. No, that's a uh, quarter circle right. That's how you do that one. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. I don't Steven, even I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should have done the talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all I know about Street Fighter, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, with it, like that is difficult for some people because most of the time you don't do a quarter circle forward when you're trying to. Um, play a platformer or whatever, what have you play. Right, uh, it's, not an, it's not something you just would ever stumble upon. Right. But um, what's interesting is that there's a new DLC character in, uh, in Street Fighter V that does away with all of those crazy inputs and you just like press right to do, uh, I think, his fireball mm-hmm. um, and things like that. And I feel like there's a lot of, there's a controversy there with um, on the, going around on the, in the, in the community right now, like, is this character, does this make sense for Street Fighter? Right. Why are they doing this now? Like, I, I, I finally figured out how to do these inputs, and now this one guy <laughs> can do all the inputs without having to do it. It's yeah. unfair. You know, I did read an article about that, yeah. and I, I found myself very much sympathizing with the designers who are trying to make it more approachable. Yeah. Reading a little bit about this, this new character, I feel like that might be a little bit better for me because I could play more tactically and less about like memorization or, or, or perfect twitch controls. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's amazing that they're doing that because right. it feels like it's a, it's a total like sand in the shoe of that, of that genre. Right. Yeah. Um, one day we got to talk about fighting games. I should get somebody who plays a lot of fighting games. Cause I don't, you guys play a lot of fighting games. Just Clawbreaker. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is the best, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Dang, we, I wish we had films. We could have seen you do the crab dance. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> but um, when you really, really, really get into fighting games, like real deep, and you have a pure understanding of like how the controls, and you like intuitively move your character the way you exactly want to it. Yeah. The what you're really when you break it down, you're really like fighting against your opponent. You're trying to see what your opponent is trying to do, and you're trying to like like see into his head, like what what what's this person going to do next? Yeah. Or um. Uh, are you going to dodge? Or are you going to uh, block? Or are you going to dodge or, or grab or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like when you really get into it, it's uh, there's an idea uh, in in fighting games called Yomi, which is just understanding your opponent and their actions. Um, that's when you really get into it. And like the, the the difficult thing is a lot of people when they first start playing a fighting game is they have those crazy controls like in Street Fighter or uh, other two D fighting games mm-hmm. um, where they they can't get they can't quite get over that gap or they have a hard time getting over that gap. And so they don't ever really feel that, that Yomi part. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's a, a new fighting or not. I don't think it's out yet, but there's like a fighting game where you play as robots and you fight people and it's supposed to be using simple controls. Um, that's being designed specifically for that. So people can just get to the, 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 the good part of a fighting game. I'd say, wow, that has um, a lot of things I like in games. Simple yeah. Controls. Robots. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, and Super Smash Brothers is also designed in that way. Like, there's a lot of depth in that game, but mm-hmm. the controls are compared to other fighting games quite simple and intuitive. Yeah. Um, but like that's an aspect. The difficulty, the difficulty of understanding controls, or the difficulty in playing the game, uh, deters you from getting to the like the 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 meat and potatoes of the game. 
which is yeah. unfortunate, but like that's part of it. And that's something like you have to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings me up to the, the next question I want to talk about, like difficulty settings in, in games. Oh, sure. Mm. Should there be difficulty settings? Sometimes people are like, ah, I don't want to play this game on easy because... Then uh, I'm a noob. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to be a noob. Well, I mean, Finjens has difficulty settings, it and I does. want to hear a lot about how you implement that. But I was thinking about that recently yeah. because um, Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. is going uh, the, Z- the latest Zelda game, um, is going to have some DLC called Hard Mode. Yeah. And um, that made me think, like, oh, there's no settings in that game. It's just that game, and everybody loves it. And it's hard in places, and it's not. It's easy in others, and it's really well-tuned, and it kind mm-hmm. of... It, 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 there's a lot of confidence to just like not just saying this is the game, um, especially when you're going for a really wide audience. Yeah, like Nintendo does. Yeah. Um, but uh, so when they were announcing hard mode, I think a lot of players uh, and we've talked about this off yeah. mic about. <laughs> I think people were like, "Well, what is that going to be?" And it's like, "Well, they said what it was going to be. It's going to be there's gonna, just going to be a couple of harder enemies." And if you're like, sounds oh, so boring." People were like, "Oh, I wanted like more. I wanted them to change the rules yeah. to make it harder." And and so people were they they read that the the press release about it and they're like okay great now in a couple you know the, now the later they'll tell us what that means even though it's right there in the press release I think people just didn't expect that to be all it was mm-hmm. I mean I might be wrong that there might be more to it but I read that plain as being like oh yeah that's what that means but I think people have a different understanding of what hard, what difficulty settings are yeah right and um and you know that like enemy AI gets stronger there are more of them. Um, you have less health, like it changes like, you know, certain rules on how the game works. Um, that's what people want from difficulty modes. Yes. Right? Oftentimes, but it's it's difficult to implement that because it's a lot of work on the developer to support um, a, a, a percentage of your audience, maybe yeah. a small percentage of your audience if it's a hard mode or an easy mode. So that's something to consider. Um, so the way difficulty works in Fingence is mostly it's a numbers thing. We up the health on enemies and increase the damage that players are dealt. But there are certain situations where like we'll uh we won't have an enemy in uh easy mode that we would have in hard mode with for the same chunk. Or in uh easy mode you get a lot more healing cogs that heal your entire team. But mm-hmm. in hard mode you don't get any healing cogs except for after bosses or mini bosses. That's why I die all the time. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So that changes things. That changes how you approach it. Like if you're playing on easy mode, you don't have to be as concerned about how much health you have because yeah. it's it's more likely that an enemy you kill mm-hmm. will and you're more likely to kill enemies, but it's more likely that an enemy you kill will give you health so you'll be able to survive later in the thing. Mm-hmm. And also um you have more health than regardless. So it's a lot more likely that you'll be able to get through a level. So right. if you're more interested in the story or maybe unlocking things whenever we add that in the game, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that difficulty might serve you better. But if you're looking for a challenge and stuff, hard mode has been tuned in a way so that you'll get more difficult enemies and it's, you won't get as many healing things. So it's, it's something you have to build your team around. Yeah. And so hard mode is uh, tuned in a way so that it'll encourage players to consider that before they get into the game and while they're playing the game. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that when when you're playing with the right mix of characters and Fingens, suddenly everything seems easier. Especially everyone yeah. knows what the, what their roles are, right? Um, and I think that's a great way to uh, for a group to master a, a game, right? right. Um, but it's nice that you're gearing a difficulty to require that at a certain stage. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you don't have you don't do a, do you do a lot with um, uh, like spacing enemies or ha- like the density of of bullets or enemies on screen at different um because um, as a bullet hell shooter I, I would just assume that would be the, the main difference there is well yeah a lot of it is um 
bullets, there's more bullets on screen when uh, in difficulty because there is a there is a tuning that makes some enemies shoot more quickly. Okay. Or uh, they might shoot, or they might just shoot more bullets or something like that. Right. Right. Um, but there is, I believe, there's a, uh, a thing in the game where we limit the amount of bullets that are allowed to be on the screen at one time. Ah, so just so like shoot if it's yeah, saturated. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so we don't. So, like, if in hard mode we could tune the the diff, or the the someone's shooting ability crazy, so that like they can shoot a ton of stuff, but like it'll be tuned in a way so that it'll be fine because we limit how many bullets are on the screen, so right. it's not too overwhelming for people. Because but if we, there's like thirty enemies on screen. In hard mode, yeah. there's still 30 enemies on easy. They Not necessarily. Shoot. Okay, no. Somet- well, like, like I said, sometimes we have we have different spawners. So some spawners will spawn enemies on medium or oh, hard sure. mode, okay. and they won't they won't do it on easy. So ah, there, okay, there's okay. we tune it in that way. So sometimes less enemies show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's a lo- there's a we've added a lot of levers to design um, the levels so that they are more or less difficult depending on what we need. Yeah. You made a difficulty API. <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually you have i've seen it where yeah. you it um you basically have a value which it, every everything looks to and scales according yes right so that's a perfect example of why you you know can you need to do a lot of tweaking mm-hmm. so that's well i'm just flashbacking to our first topic because that's one of the huge values you get right. from having those tools you build for yourself yeah is being able to like a B test and like tweak yeah and yep. doing and that I, sort of trial by error stuff we've i do about that quite a bit when i'm when i'm working on vengeance it's, yeah yeah it's kind of fun, um, but I know a lot of games when they when they have difficulty settings, they'll just uh, change the numbers so uh, you deal less damage or you deal more damage if you're on hard or easy or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know that's how how they do it in Skyrim, which is really annoying, frankly. Is um, <laughs> <laughs> they'll just increase the amount of damage or the amount of damage you take and decrease the amount of, amount of damage you deal. So. And really, Skyrim Combat. Oh man, we should just do a rant on Skyrim. Skyrim Combat. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically two health bars running into each other, and one of them will just end up out on, on top. Yeah. So when you have, uh, when you just increase the amount of health that you have, or the um, or whatever, it it or decrease the amount of health, it doesn't really. It just increases the length of combat. It doesn't increase the challenge. Mm-hmm. At least to me, it felt like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I I didn't find it to be a very interesting way of dealing with uh, difficulty. But sometimes, make just changing numbers might make a game more or less uh, enjoyable for a particular audience or a particular difficulty that you want. Yeah, so. and I mean, really, what you do in Fingence is that, but with a little bit more depth. Right? Yeah. There's a little bit you you tweak a little bit more, right. so it doesn't just you know you're not just adding ten to something and subtracting ten from something else. Or yeah, whatever. Right, right, right. Um, so, we and you also do you also scale difficulty depending on how many players are on screen. Uh, a little bit. Oh, okay. yeah, because we, we have to do that out of necessity. Otherwise, the game will be way too easy if you just have four players. Yeah, but, yeah. I feel yeah. like that, I, I don't know from experience, but that, that feels like something that you have to do for mm-hmm. that type of game. But yeah. I remember when you uh, described that to me some time ago, I was like, oh, that, man, that must be really hard to balance. It's very difficult. <laughs> um, so, I'm, I mean, I'm just sort of impressed at how well mm-hmm. it works because I've played your game single player. I've played with three players or four players. And it doesn't actually feel different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel harder, like on the same mode. It doesn't feel easier or harder when you have more players. Yeah, it always feels about that difficulty. Yeah, um, that, yeah, just, that gotta be hard. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's speaking really of difficult. difficulty, it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> but like, do you guys feel that difficulty setting should be a thing? Do you feel like they should exist? Do they, are they appropriate for all games? Are they inappropriate for some? 
for certain games. For for your game particularly, it's really it's really good. Oh yeah, it, yeah. It, it adds dimensions of work for you guys. But certainly, a, a game you want to be approachable and you want to because it adds replayability yep. and and you have an unlockable super hard mode that's totally broken. You've described that, yeah, like that is also that gives it some some value to the player on top. Mm-hmm. I can think about um, what I intend to do for the single player mode in my game, and I I very much don't want to. To have any kind of difficulty settings, I want to have a canonical experience. Yeah, um, and that's true for a lot of games that I like. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it really depends on. There's a lot of things that would preclude you from doing it or require you to do it. Mm-hmm. At least in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like like Civ has a difficulty setting. Oh sure. What, how good are the decisions that the AI makes? Is basically is yeah. the is the thing. Yeah, and I really like that because if there is a game I just want to think about, I just put it easy and then explore the whole map and win. Mm-hmm. But if, <laughs> but uh, you can scale it up if you want a mm-hmm. more thinking experience or whatever. Yeah, and I really enjoy how you do it in Vengeance because, um, like, if you're playing with like a little kid, you can put the right. difficulty down to easy. Um, but if you're like, okay. We got our team of four. We're going to go up against the deep sea yeah. secret mode. Yeah. And we're going to totally beat it, even though we all are going to die. <laughs> uh, and that's cool. And it also feels like when you can start beating levels on more difficult settings, then it feels like that sense of progression is there. So that's right. Cool. Yeah. 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 It, it, it becomes more content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just a settings change. In that exactly. Case. Yeah. It's yeah. more content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. But I guess. There's argument out there um, with certain games, particularly like Dark, Dark Souls and things like that, yeah. where mm-hmm. that game is extremely... I didn't find it that difficult, to be honest. Just more scary than anything. But, <laughs> There's yeah. Steven bragging again. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, it, it frightened him. It wasn't that hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but Dark, Dark Souls is... Um, a lot of people really like that game because of the lore and the, the, the way they handle the story in that game. Yeah. Um, but it's not very approachable. But the reason why it's not approachable is kind of important to the lore and so a lot of people say that if dark souls was if they had difficulty settings or if dark souls was easier that game wouldn't work as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so that's that's it's just an interesting way of approaching difficulty that i hadn't considered yeah. until dark souls came out as someone who's not at all interested in playing any of those the souls games yeah i i'm that i'm really i'm attracted to that reasoning yeah i, I like the idea that there's just one uh, just like you know, saying like there's a canonical experience, and if it's yeah. too hard for some people, then the game's not for those people. Yeah, that's what that's right. the argument that people say. Yeah, but a lot of people are like, well, don't you want your game to be sold to as many people as possible yeah. and be and like, get the word out there and get more people to play it and support your game? But it might not make your game as good of an experience if you have to um, if you adjust it for everyone. Right, you know? right. Sometimes games just have to be tuned in that way. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. You know, one example where you kind of have your cake and eat it too that I really like, and this is another Nintendo example because they always do good with this sort of thing, is um, Kirby's Epic Yarn yeah. and Yoshi's Woolly World. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the same developer and uh, very cute, adorable games, and they are kind of impossible to lose. Like, they're very <laughs> I think it's friendly. literally impossible to lose in Kirby's Epic Yarn. Yeah, like you can't die, right? Yeah. Like, um, uh, the Yoshi, Yoshi's Woolly World, I think, has to kill you because Yoshi's Island is famously difficult. Oh, so yeah. they have to have some legacy there, mm-hmm. but uh, I think you can actually turn on a mode in that game uh, where there are no uh, there are um, coverings over every hole. So there's no way to there's no oh, physical really? way to die. Huh. It's definitely like a you know play with your your niece or nephew kind of mode. Yeah. Um, but 
what's also great about those games is that they are they're just charming as hell right so mm-hmm. like they don't have to be hard but they have like unlockables which are crazy difficult to get and um that's something that uh, my wife really likes those games um because they don't stress her out but and then she decides how stressed out she wants to get mm. so when she goes for the really hard ones mm-hmm. and has to like the game doesn't demand it of her like she steps up to do it yeah and i think that's what she really likes about that yeah and i like and that's how in, in a lot of mario games that's how they handle difficulty is they absolutely. just have collectibles that are really hard to get right that you can go for but you don't have to i like the more recent mario games especially like they're not hard for anyone to complete almost any level mm-hmm. like some of the later ones like you maybe have to try once or twice yeah. just to get through the basics but for the most part, they're easy games. But if you're a longtime Mario fan, they're just as hard as they've ever been. Yeah. And so I, I quite like that. The one exception I think for Mario is when you die a couple times, it gives you an option of like a bonus item. Like oh, a, that's right. I feel like that is a, that is just, I think that's bad game design, frankly. Like it's sort of a, just a, it's a way out. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's probably useful to people who really hate it, but I think really, it's probably for uh, uh, children who that's probably like, true. Don't, who just want to play the game and don't really care. I suppose so, but, but I think I, yeah. I know that as as like I'll I will I will die a lot trying to get one of the unlockables or one of the the, the special items. Yeah, and the game will say, "Hey, you're having a hard time with this level. Would you like a infinite P wing or whatever?" The yeah. Game is. yeah, and I'm like. No game. I'm, that's not. That's yeah. not. It's not what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So I find that there's a little bit of a conflict there, but that's a rare speed bump, I think, in mm-hmm. the way that they handle those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that's something I want to do with Metro Nexus for my single player mode. Is I want to have something a, a game that um, the the game it's an homage to is sort of like stupid difficult, and so I, I want to <laughs> keep some of that. But um, but I want the game to be solve level to be solvable. But I want to have like efficiency bonuses yeah. that are very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not approached the level design required to get there yet. And I'll probably talk on future episodes about how I ha- still haven't started doing that because it feels like <laughs> a, it's a huge thing uh, once uh, I've released multiplayer. But yeah. um, I very much appeals to me something that's you can beat and then go back to mm-hmm. to like beat on a higher level with different skills. Like because I very much appreciate that in games. I like partly because I just like puzzle solving. Yeah, um, and I like to apply that. So that's it's an aspiration I have for my game. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that I think that's a good way of doing it. Um, of having difficulty is just having different collectibles or like bonuses and unlockables. That's yeah. actually now that I think about it, a lot of older games. That's how they dealt with it. The maybe the main storyline or whatever wasn't super difficult, but if you wanted to get fancy character, you had to beat it without taking a single hit. That's like overkill, but like, right, I mean, right, like, right. Um, that See, kind of way. Oh, I don't like those. Mm-hmm. The sort of like achievement style, like next level things, mm-hmm. where it's um, it's it, it sort of artificially makes something difficult just for mm-hmm. you, just to for you to check something off a box. Oh, I sure. mean, there's a fuzzy line where you when you put that in that category and when you don't. But like, I don't react well to that kind of like content padding just for like achievement hunting sort of purposes yeah because it, yeah. it feels like why what's the point of this if it's just yeah like going through without getting hit once it's like okay i guess but the game isn't designed for that to be part of the core mechanic it shouldn't be an extra sort of thing it's just an additional challenge the way yeah. achievements are designed at least the way i see them designed is that they're just additional challenges that the uh, game designers or whoever makes the achievements uh felt was a, a fun thing you could do for the game. Yeah. So it's not, it's, there are always side things, but if you're like, if you want to gain or you want to get points or whatever, if mm-hmm. you care about that kind of stuff, that's something you can go for. That's like, uh, I keep thinking of um, Dishonored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my boyfriend Dylan has, has played that game so many times and mm-hmm. he, we were just all talking about it. Um, and how like in that game, um, there's levels of difficulty in that 
it's high chaos and low chaos. So if you kill okay. a bunch of people, like if you just go through the level and kill everybody, um, then you get the high chaos uh, uh, ending and mm-hmm. you like every new level you go into will have more and more enemies. Well, I guess it's not the easy way. Yeah, so both ways are difficult. But mm-hmm. anyway, as you get more and more chaos, the more and more enemies there are, etc. cetera. Um, and then the other way is that you have to be really sneaky and sneak around and, and um, find clever ways of getting around people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of achievements like go through the certain way, uh, don't kill anybody or, or don't, be, don't be seen by anybody. Yeah. And I think it adds to replayability to, you can just go through ignoring all of those things and it'll be an easier game or you can add difficulty to yourself. Yeah, and it, there's different types of difficulty that you yeah. can choose to go yeah. for. Right. That's interesting. That's 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 like the achievements. Yeah. I think in But the, even your in, even is, in the base game, yeah. like you can either go for oh, com- yeah. combat difficulty or sneak difficulty. Yeah, I got right. you. And they're different and they're almost contradictory, but they're both uh, designed deliberately for the game. I mm-hmm. see. Rather yeah. than one being an add-on to the other or something. Right, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, you know, one type of difficulty I know, Stephen, you don't like uh. is point and click difficulty. <gasps> oh, yeah. yeah. That's not difficult. That's just not, think. Uh, it's just real hard. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's. Um, it's just bad with, game design. If you guys could see the steam coming out of his ears Ooh, right yeah. now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. The thing about point and click difficulty is that it's not that it's difficult. It's that it's unintuitive and not logical a lot of the times, at least for me. And so I don't. Uh-huh like those kinds of games because that is not a kind of difficulty I can appreciate. Yeah. We're we're totally opposites on this. I guess. Cause like, (laughs) yeah, coming approaching a, I, I, okay. Approaching a puzzle in a unique way or an interesting way to, to get through it is fine. Yeah. But when there's only one solution and that solution is to take the macaroni and put it in your head to make hair so you can win a beauty contest. That doesn't make sense. Well, didn't you figure that one out? No, I didn't. Somebody else did. I think we had, we might've had to look that, Thing, puzzle up. I don't remember, but this this is a real example from a game, guys. What's it? Day of the Tentacle. Day of the Tentacle. One of the greatest. Yeah, (laughs) it has very frustrating puzzles. Well, Martha, you're making a point and click, like, but it's it's not. You're not designing it for old school people who want to break windows when thinking about it. Like, you want it to be approachable for kids, right? Yeah. So, how are you approaching difficulty in your game? Uh. I haven't gotten to that point yet, (laughs) (laughs) but I want it to be like, have some little bit tricky puzzles, but only tricky. Like I want it to be like a pajama Sam or a a spy Fox, like Uh fun and have a good story and have some things that are, that are hard, um, uh, but not too hard. Yeah. And all make sort of sense, at least in a kid's mind makes sense. So I'm not as familiar with, the those games so i don't oh. so so it, um because there are different types of things you can have like the professor layton style where you go to a place and then you have to do a mini game that is a certain challenge to unlock the story and then there's the old point and click style where the 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 puzzle is is entirely story related like data tentacle mm-hmm. like uh, uh, what's the example you're oh uh yeah they're they're story based okay uh but like it's not there aren't any puzzles like um you have to click this pixel or Right. Yeah. Like you have to know cultural metaphors to wash cars uh-huh. yeah. to make the rain or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's all very much like, oh, this person needs a thing. You ha- can't get that thing because it's on a shelf. Someone else has the ladder uh, and you need to get them yeah. like go on, no, get them something. Uh-huh. And in, you know, the, there's like a few items that you can just pick up 
And so it's basically a trading game. You have to figure out who to give what. Ah, uh, sure, yeah. sure. Like in, in Spy Fox, you have a little uh, notebook that if you talk to someone who has a problem, you get a little talk balloon and you can click the talk balloon and then throw it at another person, like click <laughs> another person. Yeah. And then, then your character will ask them about, oh, do you know anything about so-and-so's problem? Mm-hmm. I like that, meta- that yeah. trading game metaphor because I think the problem with some of these point and clicks is that there's not a con- you do grab and hold and 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 apply objects, but like so it has a simple a, a, a consistent mechanic, but the metaphor is not always consistent. Mm, Whereas yeah. I think you're almost describing like give this person this thing and that that mechanic, it, not just the what you do mechanically with your mouse, but like actually the action you take in the game. If that is consistent, then I think you can you can make it a little more challenging without frustrating a player who might not be is interested right. in like lateral yeah. thinking. If you yeah. have consistent rules, then yeah. people can approach the game and 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 it makes sense. Right. So like in Breath of the Wild, there's a lot of ways that you can approach different puzzles and stuff, but it has consistent rules that you mm-hmm. can appro- or did you approach puzzles with. Sure. But like in Day of the Tentacle, you might have to pull something in one way and for one puzzle and then pull it in another way in another puzzle that don't make any sense or that mm-hmm. aren't that don't make it yeah they just don't make any sense so it's not intuitive and so people will have a hard time at least me yeah i have a hard time with that kind of stuff because that's the you gave me this rule set and you want me to use a completely different rule set in order to get through this puzzle and that's that is by design like yes. that is part of the challenge that they said is that that lateral thinking right um but that is also something that can be unapproachable and also as a designer it can be unpredictable. You don't necessarily know without tons of playtesting. Yeah. You don't always know how people are going to react to that. Right. Yep. So I think um, I think in Double Fine Adventure, that documentary, I think um, uh, the, uh, Tim Schafer talks about playtesting puzzles in Broken Age and how uh, like and things they just assumed would be easy or obvious weren't, and things they thought would be utterly impossible, people just knew right away. Like mm-hmm. the clues were there, and they didn't realize they'd set them. That kind of sort of thing. So yeah. again, playtesting is another way to do this. But you know, uh, but that you can do something that doesn't have that sort of like three levels deep lateral thinking, and and then that gives you some license to make it a little harder mm-hmm. at that one level, perhaps. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, probably makes it easier to play test because you don't have to check for as many <laughs> sort of scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's how you approach difficulty, guys. All of the ways with caution. With caution, but also <laughs> all of the ways. All the ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Also, want to hear from you on our feedback form. Steven, what's the URL? NiceGames.club slash feedback. Martha, what's the URL? NiceGames.club slash feedback. If you didn't hear that twice, it's NiceGames.club slash feedback. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at NiceGamesClub. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. I may also have copied this document. And we don't have to have that in the recording. Yeah, that yeah. worked out. Good for us. <laughs>
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 